Hello and welcome to this episode of Political Debrief. I'm your host, Josh Oliverio. Today, you're going to hear part one of a two-part interview I recently had with Kitchener Center MP Mike Morris. In this part, you'll hear about his path to election and about his personal experiences in the House of Commons. And then in a few weeks, you'll hear about his uh, opinions on the state of democracy in Canada and the House of Commons. A quick note before I play the interview, I spoke with Mike in December of 2021 for a school project about electoral reform, and there are some references to that conversation in the interview. All right, and joining me now is the Member of Parliament for Kitchener Centre, Mike Morris. Thank you so much for taking the time today. It's really great to chat again. Thanks to uh, to you, Joshua, for inviting me back. So uh, I want to start off by talking about your personal experience as an MP, but I think we have to go back a little bit further uh, to start that. What made you decide to run for public office? I appreciate you asking because I think it's so important. In In my case, it was like this deep sense of calling. I, I had spent 10 years uh, working with businesses one-on-one to build networks of support for them to set targets and reduce their climate impact, both in my community in Waterloo Region and, and across the country. And after 10 years that I kind of took a step back and while you know, proud of, of, of the progress we were able to make together, also recognized that if you read the most recent climate science, on the whole, we're just, we're not moving fast enough and we're actually not in the right direction at all. As uh, you know, uh, this is actually the first year our emissions uh, went down this most recent and some might say that's actually attributed to um, the pandemic as opposed to any actions that governments have taken. So I took a step back and I guess it was a mix of frustration as well as some optimism that, you know, if we had folks in Ottawa setting federal policy differently, when it relates to so many of the most uh, complex challenges we face, wealth inequality, the climate crisis, housing, and if we could do it in a way that just turned down the temperature a little bit, uh, I just felt that the partisanship I was seeing so often was serving political parties. It wasn't serving people. It wasn't serving us. And so I guess all that came together it, that, that really felt to be this deep sense of calling. And why I say that that's so important is because it got hard in the campaign at different points and to some extent in my time in Ottawa so far as well. And my sense is that when I push through, so you might know and listeners as well might know that in you know 2019 in the first campaign, I was diagnosed with stage one testicular cancer partway through. And that was difficult to move through, but made easier by the fact that I had such a deep sense of calling to continue uh, moving through the camp, the campaign. So that's what really instigated it for me was recognizing that if if we continue to send you know billions of dollars in subsidies to oil and gas companies, it makes it a whole lot more difficult to be working one on one if uh, if the marketplace is so distorted and it's really federal policy where um, where we can shift some of the systemic uh, challenges to orient towards. Uh, towards serving people and, and and kind of having a social justice lens to it. So that's what all kind of brought me to running in the in the first place. 
So then, you know, 2019 was your first time running for a federal party in a federal election. Um, and I remember uh, on election night back in September of 2019, be like, in Waterloo Region, a green candidate finished not last. And I thought that was like incredible. And I think it speaks to, you know, the type of different politics that you encourage people to participate in. Talk about kind of what, what was it like door knocking and talking to people for the first time in 2019, getting kind of a feel for how to, you know, win, a, win an election? Well, it was a lot of what you just finished sharing. It was demonstrating to my community that it was possible for a Green to win because many would say, and I'd be honest, you know, you know to your point earlier, in the 2015 election, uh, Green secured 3% of the vote, about 1,500. Uh, not nearly enough to come close. I think they were in, in, in fourth. And so when we, and I say we, uh, it was about 400 people who helped uh, when it came to knocking on doors and hosting backyard conversations. This was hundreds and hundreds of people from drawing the map route to entering the data. It is a pretty incredible effort across party lines when it comes to the civic engagement in our democracy that so many people put in. And in our case, it was, it was yeah, 400 or so people. For me, what was important about how we did it was we tried to center democracy ahead of politics. And what I mean by that is if you've ever received a phone call from a political party around election time, you'll know one of the first questions the person on the phone will typically ask is, can we count on your support? And if you answer no, uh, it seems like the call is quickly ended. In our case, we approached it differently um, we asked the question, what's most important to you? I'd introduce myself and or I'd volunteer to introduce themselves. I'm, I'm, I'm here with Mike Morris. He's looking to be your MP. We want to know what you care about, what's important to you, because that's the bedrock of our democracy is listening to what our neighbors care about. And then what I'm advocating now in Ottawa is based on what we heard. So I think it was that mix of putting in the work, you know, 45,000 doors. We got to every single one in 2019, some of them twice. We heard anecdotes along the way of, you know, someone sharing that by the time one of the main two parties got to someone's door, a person might say like, what took you so long? You know, the Greens have already been here twice. What's going on? Uh, so I think there's just no substitute for that um, those conversations, you know, one conversation at a time and the tone of those conversations and the focus of those conversations. And over time, as we got closer to the election, we weren't naive about it. Towards the end of the conversation, we might then circle back to, you know, I'm really glad to hear. Here's what, you know, I've been focused on. We might then follow up over time, but we just wouldn't jump right to, can we count on your support? We left space to focus on democracy first. It's a big part of why I chose to run with the Greens in the first place, right? Is, is, is that Greens, um, while we have common values, are really focused on putting community ahead of the party. It's why there's no whip votes. It's why when I was listening to those conversations, I could be genuine about it. And my opinion can change based on what I hear from neighbors. And I think that was a shift for a lot of people. And I can say in Kitchener, and my sense is it's, it's true in a lot of other places across the country, that's what it seemed to me like a lot of my neighbors were looking for. 
is they were tired. They didn't want to hear me attacking some other political party. Uh, but for the chance to actually share for once and do most of the talking, I think that's what we need to be doing more of. And that's what we tried to double down on in 2021 also. So, you know, uh, a close finish in 2019 for you, you finished second in 2019. Uh, the Liberal, Rossini, won by about um, 6,000-ish votes. What made you decide to do it, do it all again? And, well, you probably didn't know it would be two years' time, but what made you decide to do it again um, the next time? Well, I remember in the days after our loss in 2019, uh, one email in particular really struck a chord. I actually ended up... Uh, writing a blog post around it, um, the person had said that she wanted me to know that she felt like we, she said, yeah, you, you didn't lose the gold, you won the silver. And that was a part of why I decided to keep going is knowing that we had built up such momentum. And in a lot of other cases, when you look at when Greens win, it usually does take a few election cycles. And what my experience was in 2021 is the question people asked was different or the rebuttals even, I mean, I guess. In 2019, one of the main rebuttals was, you know, I like you or I like the ideas or I've heard good things, but I don't think you got a chance to win. Versus in 2021, the conversation shifted. The folks would say, well, I know you've got a chance to win. Tell me what kind of impact a green MP can have. And so I think in my decision-making, it was, first of all, taking some time to grieve um, between the cancer diagnosis, getting healthy, uh, kind of moving through the, the, those first six months, I took a bit of a step back. And when I decided in, in summer of, of 2020 to, to continue through, it was based on knowing that we had demonstrated the, you know, the results from last time, the momentum we've built, and I still had that sense of calling. And you can't, there's no BS to that. That sense of calling, I feel very lucky whenever I've had that in my life. And using that as a kind of a compass, I guess win or lose, I feel like it was the right choice. Um, I have never regretted following that deep sense of calling. And so knowing that that was still there, knowing that our chances of winning were that much stronger, knowing how much I enjoyed it. Like for the time between the two elections, from that summer until the next one, we just kind of started to operate as kind of shadow MP. And whether that was bringing people together, we brought the arts and culture community together, for example. And then I did a whole blog series or uh, we were doing backyard chats still. We were doing all the things that we felt an MP should be doing um, based on knowing that uh, this community was one that had really rallied around it last time and that whenever an election was called, we, we were ready to continue to build on it. So August, whatever, August 20th of um, 2021 comes around. Uh, you see the CBC report that, uh, you know, the prime minister is going to call an election. What's the first thing that goes through your mind? Well, if I'm honest with you, by the time we got to that point, I was already just knocking on doors. Like we, like the, for us, the process was so much earlier. It was December of 2020 when we were on the phones with our biggest supporters, letting them know about the year end deadline for them to make contributions and get their most, uh, their highest tax receipt back. Uh, it was then building up to uh, receiving the, nom the, you're winning the nomination again earlier in the year. 
Uh, we started knocking on doors as early as we could after doing a number of these blog posts to put out a kind of a local platform. I think our first day knocking was because of the pandemic, we wanted to be really careful. I think July 2nd or kind of early July was once we started getting back to doors. So by the time the writ dropped, uh, you know, it had been widely speculated. So we knew it was, it was coming at some point. And so that particular day, probably the only change was we were ready to go with getting lawn signs back out. And that was, it was kind of, you know, a fun vibe at the office as people started showing up uh, with cars and lawn signs and all the rest. And of course, at doors, the conversations got a little bit different. More people were more tuned in uh, as a result once the lawn signs are up and more of the media is talking about it. So there might have been a change in the vibe. But for us as a campaign, it was just kind of more of the same. Just go knock on more doors. Yeah. And, you know, on um, September 4th, um, the Kitchener Center election became a national headline. Um, there were a lot of, you know, reports from media about alleged, you know, Ron doing well. The, the incumbent, Raj Saini, was an MP. Um, so that really kind of people, some people would say that kind of opened up the door to being like, yeah, you know, the Greens could actually win this riding. Did the resignation or, you know, step back of the Liberal team in Kitchener Center, did that change the way that you campaigned at all? Or did it just kind of give you that push to the, the finish line that you needed to win? I don't know if it changed much of anything for us. We were you know, building a winnable campaign over the course of, you know, the last number of months. And we had... I remember the day that um, that the incumbent had announced that they were ending their campaign. For us, we just went back and kept knocking on more doors. Um, it, so it was it was really more the same. I, I think there was something to be said for you know there was. I remember uh, you know uh, a previous uh, liberal member of provincial parliament who reached out a few days later and offered her endorsement. So I think there was it shifted some things for others particularly the national, as you mentioned, I think locally, a lot of people had already seen the momentum, what we we were building up locally. Uh, For some others, it shifted how they engaged with our campaign. But I appreciate how you asked the question. What I can actually answer isn't about others. I can only speak for myself. And and for myself, it was just, let's just keep putting in the work. Um, And certainly when others would reach out, uh, we were, were happy to to receive that support, and I guess it shifted some of the conversations at the door as well. But in those conversations, I, I just tried to stay as genuine. Um, you know, I'm not here to speculate about others. Um, I, I tried to co- focus our conversations, and that's the agency I had was was to make sure that I focused the conversation on, you know, what is the impact that one green MP can have. And I found myself talking a lot about what Mike Schreiner had accomplished in, in Guelph in terms of having an, an outsized voice. And I think that's, that's materialized uh, as well here. And the days after the election, you know, the amount of media attention on Kitchener Center uh, was likely shaped in some part by the fact that it's kind of rare to see a green win in Ontario. Well, all of a sudden, the priorities of my neighbors in Kitchener Center were getting far more media attention uh, than any anywhere else. And that was certainly part of my hope is that I'm going to be committed to so many to be working hard, to being respectful and to staying honest. And that's what we tried to continue to do. 
So September 20th rolls around, uh, the, the election um, day. Tell me, what. walk me through what your election day looked like. Uh, I love uh, talking about election day because by the time you get to election day, most of the work as a candidate is done. Um, and on election day is when there's the most number of people that are, you know, giving rides to the polls and, uh, you know, fanned out across the riding to be getting out the vote. Um, and so, you know, I joined in on some of that, you know, right until, uh, you know, 8.55 on election night, I was out there on a, a, last, uh, a last run going, knocking on doors of supporters for those that we had records of not having voted yet. So I was, you know, a part of that effort. But I think there's a lot to be said for as the election goes on, the impact that an individual candidate can have, and I think certainly on, on election day, diminishes. And so it, it was just, there was, a, there was a great energy in the community on that particular day. You know, I you know, voted and we, uh, you know, shared that on social media, for example. There was great vibes at, at the office. Of course, a lot of family and friends were in also. So it was a... Um, it was particularly fun, but in a lot of ways, it was more of the same. We were just back at back at doors, uh, continuing to to put in everything we had till uh, uh, at every last opportunity. And then uh, Monday evening, right uh, after nine o'clock, the polls close. I would assume you had like a, a party, and you, um, you you watched the results. Walk me through what that evening was like. Yeah, well, there was kind of two parts if I can share with you in terms of those moments. The first part was just back at the office, and we had uh, we were heading to a local pub for a party later in the evening. Uh, but you know, as polls closed, uh, myself, uh, my parents, some really close friends, Asha, our campaign uh, manager, we 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 were back at at the office, and volunteers were starting to bring back. Um, I guess they're called sequence sheets. We call them bingo sheets in, in the office. They're the records from the scrutineers, our volunteers at various polls um, that we started to receive back. And as we were watching CBC, um, they actually had us in the lead from the outset. The polls we were getting back in our own tracking early on actually had the conservatives in the lead. And so it was a bit uh, lower energy until a volunteer brought back four polls from a part of the riding where we'd come in third, uh, mostly all of them. We hadn't done particularly well in 2019. And they brought these back. I didn't know which ones they even were yet, but I saw that we'd, we'd won, I think, all of them. And I brought those back to this back room where Asha and others were all gathered, and they had the large map of the riding. And it's when they started to um, map those polls and we identified that those are where we came in third last time i remember i had my brothers on facetime uh one was in montreal one in toronto and i said to them like this is i think this might actually happen like this is real these numbers are looking pretty good and so i know asha said okay we got to get to that party uh she had she had a particular dress she wanted to get on so we hopped in the car a bunch of us we drove over to asha's uh she got on uh the the dress she wanted to wear uh we got over to the to the to the party and i guess the other kind of big moment of course walking in there was a lot of good vibes we were leading in some of the polls but it was an interesting moment in that uh, with, i was trying to try to do a live interview on cbc and uh, it had gotten interrupted a few times for various reasons. 
and it hadn't been called yet. And my dad, who was there, he kind of pulled my arm at one point, and uh, he'd been online, and my stepmom, I think, found it first. Apparently, Canadian press had called it, but CBC hadn't yet. So it was interesting that no one in the room knew. And my dad kind of pulled me on the side and said, Mike, Canadian press just called it. You won. And I just like, pulled Asha aside. I said the same thing to her. And um, sometimes you can't plan these things. Uh, but the photographer from the record, the Waterloo Region record, his name is Matthew. He happened to be there right at the moment where I shared with Asha that we had won and she kind of put her hands up to the side of her. It's this really emotional moment that is now forever. My dad's in the background. So moments like that, Joshua, like um, it's just the overwhelming emotion of after all of that, after three years, we had, we, we had done what we had set out to do. Uh, and then within minutes I was on CBC and it hadn't even been announced on CBC yet. So then I was kind of uh, not alluding to the fact that I already knew we had, we had won. There was some cheering in the background while I was live on CBC. I, I, the, 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 uh, the journalist online thought it was because they had shown we were in the lead. It was actually because they finally showed we'd actually won. Uh, and getting a chance to then you know, say a few words to that group. Um, I'm really glad we got that on video. Uh, it was it was a really special evening for sure to to be with all of those people, right? To look them in the eyes, you know, Scott and uh, Julia, like so many people who'd been with me on on so many streets after all of those doors and pairs of shoes and conversations. To be with that crew of people that we had done this together. Um, yeah, really, really special. And then, you know, there was quite a bit of time between um, the the election and then the House of Commons uh, sitting for the first time in the 44th Parliament. Um, those must have been a long two months for you. Um, but what was it like that, you know, those first or the, the last few weeks of November when you finally were able to, you know, get your feet in the, get your feet on the floor of the House um, and start, you know, speaking and getting to know your fellow MP. Well, I remember like even just one of the first things we did when we got into parliament was of course electing the speaker. And I remember when I walked in one of those first times seeing so many people that I held in such high regard. I remember at one point we were we were lining up to place our votes for speaker. And I think it was Elizabeth Daniel Blakey and Adam Vancouverden that I was kind of chatting with in line as we're waiting to, to cast our votes for the speaker. And then as we walk by the ballot box, a number of liberal ministers were in that front row. And that's when I say the word surreal, you know, to think that these are now colleagues that I am, you know, have the privilege to be working with and will be working with hopefully for a good number of years. Um, you know, moments like that, I just thought to myself, wow. And then if I think ahead and how, you know, Adam and I actually have been able to work together on a number of things, including, you know, pushing for more investments in co-op housing, um, you know, I'm really, I, I feel quite fortunate for that. And then certainly those first few speeches too, um, you know, realizing that while you might have time to plan for a 10-minute speech, and a lot of the Q&A that, you know, that happens in the, in the House of Commons, that's just standing up and hoping the speaker might call on you to have a chance and you know, realizing that I'm not going to have to or get a chance to plan out every intervention. This is going to need to be just from the heart 
uh, based on you know points of advocacy from my community. And so there's a mix of that surreal element and also just learning those protocols to be able to get in as often as I wanted to and to make sure I had a kind of a, 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 um, a strong voice. Uh, and I, I'm proud of, of the amount of times I've been able to, um, to speak on the floor of the House of Commons following in the lead of Elizabeth May in terms of um, uh, you know, being present there and, and respecting the parliament and the role of parliamentarians to be having meaningful dis discourse. And uh, you know, I tried to get right into that from the outset in, no in November. Yeah, you've had 215 interventions since November, which seems like a lot. Um, so I know one of the things that you're really advocating for on Parliament Hill is to the reintroduction of the Canada Disability Benefit. Can you talk a little bit more about why that's so important? Well, it goes right back to the campaigns. This is the benefit of having knocked on thousands of doors is that uh, I now have the... Um, uh, those stories to refer back to and what I'm advocating for in Ottawa is based on what I heard most often. And, and one of the um, concerns I heard most often is from folks with disabilities in my community who are living in legislated poverty. The Ontario Disability Support Program, you know, it's 1169, for example, for a single person. The housing allowance is less than $500 a month. Show me one apartment a person can rent in Kitchener for less than 500. It's just not there. And so it came from hearing those stories um, and then groups like Disability Without Poverty who came to me after being elected to say, hey, we've been in the midst of this campaign. Would you be willing to sponsor and bring forward a petition on the floor of the House of Commons? And then the third piece. So first of all, you know, having it as a priority of my neighbors is the most important. Having allied organizations and those you know, who have lived experience, in this case from the disability community, who had been leading the charge. But then third, having it as a priority of the governing party, in this case, a promise they'd made for two years without following through. So we knew we weren't just kind of yelling into the void. We knew that this was constructive, that they had made the commitment, but it wasn't in the throne speech. And, it, it, you know, it wasn't in the fall economic statement. And we know there are promises that the governing party has made that they haven't followed through on electoral reform. We spoke about last time as one example and proportional representation more specifically. So we know just by making promises doesn't mean they're going to follow through. I think the first promise on Pharmacare was like 1997. We haven't seen that yet either. And so to be able to take what I'd heard from my neighbors and then focus our advocacy with Disability Without Poverty, that's why... I think we've been able to make some progress, but that's why we started that petition. In fact, before I sat on the floor of the House of Commons, we opened that petition, I think in October. Uh, it was really one of the very first uh, interventions, uh, but it really just came from my neighbors first and foremost. And that's who I'm accountable to and, that, and th that's who I'm attempting to represent well. And that's why whether it's housing or the disability benefit or mental health, it's those priorities of my neighbors I'm trying to bring to the forefront. Thank you for listening to this episode of Political Debrief. I hope you enjoyed it. You're always welcome to leave a message in the comments on YouTube and subscribe on YouTube and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. 
In two weeks, you'll hear part two of my interview where we'll talk about democracy and how he thinks we can improve the House of Commons. You can follow me on Twitter at Josh Oliverio or on Instagram at Political Debrief Show. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and I'll see you in a few weeks.